You'll have to forgive my voice this morning. I was one of the troop down there um, cheering for that wonderful match we watched. Isn't scripture full of paradoxes? In fact, isn't the Christian faith full of paradoxes? Now, my uh, fourth form English teacher at school told me that a paradox was an apparent contradiction. So last week, the sermon was about rubbish tip faith. And Paul was saying, there's nothing I can do. You know, I'm born a Jew and I'm, I'm, a, I'm born a Pharisee and I persecuted Christians and I did this and I did this. But nothing matters except the saving grace of Jesus who loved me and forgave me and who died for my sins. Now, today's verses talk more about persevering and achieving and accepting God's discipline and, and going hard and really trying to succeed in the Christian life. And that's a kind of a paradox, isn't it? And I want to use a, a, an analogy to start off. Um, it's lovely that you're here because I was going to ask the congregation, how many of you have run a marathon? And Stephen, you've run what, 50? Close to 50. A marathon takes a huge amount of endurance, a huge amount of effort, a huge amount of determination. And I'm too old and too fat now to, um, to run marathons and to run anymore, so I race walk. And I was going to give you an illustration of what we're talking about today from marathon running, but in fact I decided to do it from race walking, and I want to play you two short videos. Can I start this, can I? And Barrett walking. Oh, uh, this is the second one. Yeah, the, the first one is from the world, recent World Championships where an amazing young Spanish woman won the 35-kilometre race walk. It's about eight in this women's lead pack. Kimberly Garcia-Leon to the right of picture is the defending champion. She, too, will be looking for some improvement. She's in fourth place uh, on Sunday. Now, can you just stop it there? So she's, she's victorious. She's an amazing Spanish woman. She's the best in the world. She broke the world record. It's not 50K anymore. It's 35K. And race walking is actually very difficult, even though I gave up running. There are two rules. One, you must have contact with the ground all the time. And when, you, when your leg goes down to stride, I won't demonstrate across here, um, when, you, when your leg goes down to stride, it must be straight. So you can get disqualified for a bent knee or for loss of contact. So you can train for two years and go to the Olympics or the World Championships, and then you can, it's all, all over. It's a complete disappointment because you get chucked out. Or at least you get put in the sin bin. And they call it the sin bin, and I was actually partly responsible for getting that introduced, but I won't, won't tell you that story. Now... <laughs> There's another, there's another small video here from a, a one you may remember, and that's of a man called Craig Barrett, who was leading by something like uh, six minutes in the Commonwealth Games um, marathon. And if the, if the wizards at the back can bring this up, look what happens to him. He's strong and is determined. You can see the determination in his face. Suddenly, Barrett looks like he might be in a bit of trouble here. Oh, he has goodness stopped. me. This is a tragedy here for Craig Barrett. Looks like it's an attack of the cramps. Now he's got six minutes to try and get himself together here. This is real drama here. Can he continue? How can he possibly finish this race? 
Brendan, he is in all sorts of pain. John Davies, what can he do here? Brendan, I think he should just sit down on the curb for a minute and regather himself. He should just not get concerned. He's got such a big lead. He should just try to get himself back physically together. Surely the man can't continue for another 1,500 metres like this. This is too dangerous to continue, and I think that's the right decision. Craig has given everything to try and win a gold medal, and there's no doubt that he was the man that could have done it today. And, I think, uh, and so the New Zealand chef de mission, Les Mills, who was also a gold medalist, has to come along and take him off the, take him off the, the race. How, what a huge disappointment. And <laughs> Les Mills somehow reminded me of what God does with us sometimes. You know, we, we fall over. We, we don't succeed. We struggle. And I, want, I wanted to read then this, this passage. Um, this is from Philippians 3, which we've been going through. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal. I'll see if I can get the right. There we are. Not that I have already obtained all this, but have arrived at my goal. But I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But the one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And this is one of the analogies. There's about eight passages in Scripture where the, particularly the Greek influence, which was very big on you know Olympics and marathons and, and so on, uses this analogy of a race for, for what it's like to, um, to, to, to live the Christian life. It's tough. Sometimes it doesn't, it doesn't work, like poor old Craig Barrett, who I actually know personally. He's a man from Taranaki. He was six minutes ahead. If he'd slowed down earlier, he probably would have won the gold medal easily. And yet the chef de mission had to come and grab him and take him off. That's a bit like our Christian lives, isn't it? Sometimes we're trying as hard as we can, but then there's a big disappointment. None of us... Sorry... No Christian has got it all. None of us are perfect. None of us has, have got it all together. You know, we don't always put in the right performance, do we, in a marathon or in a, in a, in a walking race or whatever you're doing. It may, it may be a swimming event. We had, a, we had a woman in this church who happens to be the sister of, of, our, of Lisa who, who swam both Cook Strait and Lake Taupo. Cook Strait took her seven hours, and Lake Taupo, I didn't know this till I looked it up, Carolyn, took her 14 hours. Imagine swimming from, from the Turangi end to the Taupo end and swimming for 14 hours, and the wind got up at the end. So her dad, who's here, told me. It's a struggle, and, and none of us have got it all together. <coughs> Romans, um, and, and this famous quote, which you'll know where it comes from, failure doesn't come from falling down, failure comes from not getting up again. Winston Churchill, one of his great war um, speeches. So in Romans, Paul talks about this, this dilemma, this struggle that we have to overcome evil and to overcome sin in our lives. It happens so regularly that it's predictable. This is from the message. The moment I decide to do good, sin is there to trip me up. I truly delight in God's commands, but it's pretty obvious that not all of me joins in that delight. Parts of me covertly rebel, and just when I least expect it, <laughs> I take, they take charge. That's what happens, isn't it? I've tried everything and nothing helps. I'm at the end of my rope. There is no one who can do anything for me. Isn't that the real question? 
The answer, thank God, is that Jesus Christ can and does. He's like Les Mills for, for Craig Barrett, only much better. He acted to set things right in this life of contradictions where I want to serve God with all my heart and mind, but I am pulled by the influence of sin to do something totally different. And the writer to Hebrews also expands on this running theme, this, this competing, this enduring theme that I want to explore a bit. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. That's what you certainly have to do when you run a marathon or swim or whatever you do. Just some of, for some of you will be climbing up the fire break or whatever your, bodily, your, your body allows you to do. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So often we do that, don't we? We lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not resisted yet to the point of shedding your blood. Well, some of you may have. And you have, have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as the father addresses his sons? It says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord's disciple, because the Lord disciplines the ones he loves and chastises everyone he accepts as a son. It's a very difficult scripture to understand. We, we if we're living the Christian life, we must expect God's discipline. And what is God's discipline? It's, it's, a hard, it's a hard word. So what does the Hebrews passage tell us to do? Oh, I haven't, sorry, I haven't gone on to the um, rest of it. Endure hardship as a discipline, for God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate. We're bastards, one of the translations says, if, God, if we don't have God's disciplines. We're illegitimate children. We have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for how much more we should submit to the Father of spirits and live. They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful later on. However, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Therefore, speaking to all of us here, <coughs> strengthen your feeble arms. I can't do proper press-ups anymore. I used to win competitions in the gym at New Plymouth Boys High School. I could do 50, 60 press-ups and I have to do half ones because my body's too heavy for the strength of my arms. Now I'm in my, in my mid-70s. Strengthen your your feeble arms and your weak knees. Fortunately, my knees are all right at the moment. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, and that, but rather healed. So he's talking about the realities of our Christian walk or, or our Christian run. So what does the Hebrews passage tell us to do? In fact, the Philippians passage. To run or walk or swim or endure or whatever we do with perseverance. To persevere, to carry on despite the difficulties. 
Don't chuck your faith in. As I said last week, just because there's a few difficult questions you have to face. Throw off everything that gets in the way. What do you need to throw off that hinders you from your Christian walk? What do I need to throw off? Is it my thinking too much about my job or my money or how famous I might become or not become or what, what is it? Chuck it off. I bet when Steve was in his hospital bed, he wasn't particularly worried about running marathons. He was worried about just staying alive. And he was persevering. And praise God, he's here. Fix your eyes on Jesus. <clears throat> Remember the wonderful song, and I probably don't have a singing voice, but turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. So what will happen if we fix our eyes on Jesus? The things of earth that grab us and trip us up and torture us and get us angry and they will grow strangely dim if we really look with our eyes and put our, turn our eyes on Jesus. Don't grow weary and lose heart. Expect the Lord's discipline. It's a great enigma that I've never really solved in my own mind. I spoke a little bit about this last week. You know, what is God's discipline when, when we have a family member pass away or, or have serious illnesses? I actually believe that's part of God's discipline. God, God could intervene and solve all the problems in the world if he wanted to. He's capable. But he doesn't always. But he does sometimes. And what the, the mystery, the great mystery of the Christian life is that we don't know why he does it in some circumstances and not in others. And that's an enigma I'll probably take to my grave. God doesn't cause suffering, but he can alleviate it and sometimes, and does sometimes. Prayer does work. The great mystery we don't know is why he does sometimes and not in others. In fact, if we are not suffering discipline, as it says in the Hebrews passage, we are actually not true children of God. We're illegitimate. So somehow in our lives, we should be experiencing the discipline that we need as a result of things that we do or of things that happen to us. It's a mystery. Don't become a B-grade Christian. Now, I'm a B-grade race walker now, because I, if I try and keep my legs straight all the time, I pull a hamstring. So I walk at about three quarters of my ability. And I, I, when I go in championship races, there's an A grade that's fully judged according to Olympic rules and a B grade that's for hackers like me. And I, I, I don't mind being a B grade race walker because I do, just do it for enjoyment and the fitness. But don't be a B grade Christian. Go all out. The Lord wants all of us, our mind, our heart, our relationships, our work, our studies. He wants them all to be committed to him. Don't be a B-grade Christian. Remember that you don't have to be an expert apologist. Remember last time I talked about the, the dogs that... Um, were attacking us and, and the dogs in, in Paul's time were the circumcision brigade who were saying that he wasn't a real Christian because 
he um, didn't do certain things. And I was talking about the secular humanists and the atheists who were trying to divert us from the path and tell us that our faith wasn't real. You don't, but you don't have to be an expert apologist and, or a triumphant disciplinarian, Sermon 2. And I just want to finish by retelling you the story. Uh, my favourite book of the Narnia stories, and I've mentioned this before, is The Silver Chair. And if I can paint the picture for you, the children and this amazing animal called Puddleglum, who Lewis invents, who's a sort of part beaver, part um, whatever else, they go under, underneath to rescue Prince Rillian, and they encounter the horrible green witch, who's really a serpent in disguise. And she puts this um, stuff on the fire, and she strums a little instrument, and she gradually lulls them into the sense of that there's no world up above her horrible cavern where she's got all these people captive. There's nothing up there. There's no sun, no sky, no moon, no beautiful scenery like, like we're all used to. But the real world is, is only the world that's down here in the darkness and the horror, horror of, her, of her world which she rules. And, and Jill, they're all getting sleepier and sleepier. And Jill suddenly says, but there's Aslan. And Aslan, of course, is Lewis's picture of, of Jesus. And immediately the witch gets really angry and then slowly she... She thrums them into, into, um, into sleep again. But Puddleglum is fighting hard, and he, he realises that he somehow has to break the smell, and he puts his foot into the fire. And Lewis says, there's nothing like the smell of burnt marsh wiggle to bring one to one's senses. And then the spell is broken, and the witch turns into a horrible snake, and they all attack it with their... But she tries to convince them. You see, Lewis is saying... She tries to convince them that, that this world that we're in now is all there is. There's no heaven. There's no hell. There's no afterlife. There's no God who created the whole universe. Wonderful, wonderful storyteller. And that was written in 1951. And it's still as relevant as, as it always was. Whoops. Puddleglum knew in his heart that the world above was real and bravery and faith. So the person with the simplest sincere faith can confront the power of evil and falsehood. You don't have to... See, I've had to become something of a bit of an apprentice apologist because I've taught at university for 52 years. And, and Victoria University is one of the most heathen places in the world if you look at its origins and, and how it was founded. But you don't have to be like that. You can be like Jill and call out to the name of Jesus or you can be like Puddleglum and just take one action, one particular action that will reverse the... In, in, in Lewis's case, the spell. So be encouraged, brothers and sisters. Endure. How many of you have, how many of you have been a, a Christian for um, over 50 years? There you go. They've endured. There's a lovely lesson for, for, for you young guys. Don't, don't give in. Don't, don't step out of the path. Don't get easily distracted. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for these paradoxes in Scripture that on the one hand we are nothing. All our achievements and our money and our relationships mean nothing to you if we're not committed to you. But on the other hand, in today's passage, we, we, we've learned about striving and enduring and struggling like the marathon runners and the swimmers and the race walkers. 
Lord, we pray that you will give us endurance. We pray that you will give us your Holy Spirit who will help us to get through these hard times. And in your, in your name and in, your, in the love of, of your Holy Spirit, be triumphant over them. In Jesus' name, we pray that that will go with us this week. Amen.